Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. September has started, and Graham McMillan and I are here for you as we play the game My Four Manga, talk about the news of comicsology and Amazon, gab about the future of digital comics, and discuss JSA, Infinity Inc., early Todd McFarlane, 16 volumes of middle-aged man comfort food manga, and much, much more. As always, we welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Laster. Graham McMillan, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm I'm okay, I think, yeah, you know. You're that good, huh? Well, you know, I don't know what to say, Graham. Like, I I guess I'm just a downer dude. Like, I mean, you know, it's not terrible, but depending on how you look at things, like, you know, shouldn't we demand better, you know? You know, we probably should demand better. I think that's that's actually a fair way to look at it. Mm -hmm. We should demand better. I personally uh, am in a, a, a fine mood, but mostly because this week has been, like, a lot. Mm. This week has been a lot, and a lot in ways that I did not expect it to be a lot, and today is the first day pretty much since last weekend when I wasn't stressed for one reason or another. Wow. Oof. Well, yeah. and so, mm-hmm. you know, just the relief of having that day mm-hmm. makes mm-hmm. me go, well, you know, things could be worse. <laughs> yeah, That's true. Th- th- things could significantly be worse. I know that because... I've been living worse for the last week. Wow, I gotta tell you, that is an excellent glass half full attitude. Um, and it's, I don't, you're welcome. Yeah, it's I. Hopefully, it will inspire me to to bigger things and and better, bolder things during the course of this podcast. So that's what I'm here for. I'm here to raise the spirits of everyone who hasn't. Here's the thing, Jeff. Uh, you and I do this podcast, yeah, uh, and it's a joy. I love talking to you. I love doing this podcast. This is arguably the only, uh, for want of a better way of putting it, phone interaction that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't like talking on the phone. I just mm-hmm. don't. Mm-hmm. So no matter what the context of the phone call is, I don't like it. Right. You know, even people who I adore, I don't really like talking on the phone. Mm. Like, for real, this podcast is it. Wow. Right? Um. And this week I've had to do a lot of phone calls. Mm. I've had a lot of phone calls. Uh, and none of them have been uh, phone calls for fun. Mm-hmm. Like they've all been phone calls for, for particular purposes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been a lot of work phone calls, all of which were insane. And I wish that I could talk about them on the podcast and I can't. But it's been a week of nuts phone calls for work. Like just genuinely weird uh, in some cases, very uncomfortable phone calls for work. Really? Oh, yeah. man. Um, and, well, there's sometimes you just uh, sometimes you just have to have uncomfortable phone calls, right? right? Sometimes mm-hmm. when you're in the course of, of trying to find shit out, you have to ask questions that you don't really want to ask, but you also know you have to ask. Right, right. And the person well, on the other line wanna, really doesn't yeah, want to also, answer. Right. Exactly. They mm-hmm. don't want those questions. You don't really want to ask those questions, but you also have to. Right. Right. Um, and I, you know, for someone who doesn't like phone calls in general, having a phone call and some things have to be asked audibly, have to be asked on the phone. 
you know what I mean? You can't really put it in email. You know? Because it, it tone is important. But also, right. the, someone chooses to answer the question in that moment mm-hmm. is also important. Yeah. Right? Right. Uh, and so there's been a lot of that. There has been um, phone calls with the vet. There's been a bunch of phone calls with the vet this week. Oh, Lord. That, um, that f- if you'd asked me on Thursday, I would have been much more pessimistic than I was on Friday. But the short version is one of the dogs got a blood test. And it should have been a straightforward blood test. Uh, he has to have dental surgery, and it's literally a blood test to make sure that he can come through the anesthetic fine. Right. Right? He's had this before. It's always been fine. Where it doesn't become fine is when they don't give you the results, and you call to get the results, and they can't give you an answer. What? Right? So on Thursday, I think it was, I call, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm calling to get... The, the results for, for, you know, this dog, uh, you know, the blood test happened earlier this week. Normally you get back to me within 24 hours. It's been a, it's been a few days. Uh, you know, can you, can you just let me know what's happened? And they were like, yeah, yeah. Can I just put you on hold? And I was like, yeah, not thinking anything of it. And then holds would last a long time. Hold would last like, you know, seven or eight minutes. Uh. And then I come back and I'm like, yes. Yeah, so, um, we're going to have to call you back. Because, you know, the, the doctor's currently seeing a, a patient and, you know, I, I think I think really the doctor needs to talk to you about this. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound good at um, all, yeah. But, but you know, can I can I call back instead? Like, you know, I, I'm at this point, like, you know, I'm, I have other phone calls to do. And I was like, can I call back? If, you know, my afternoon's going to be weird. And they're like, yeah, sure, sure, call back. Call back at X time. And I call back at X time and they're like, yeah, so... Um, can we just do this tomorrow? Because you know this, you know the, the we don't really, you know, it'd be better if we, you know, we we have some time to to really get all our information together. And, what and the then, fuck? And then you know, then we can talk to you tomorrow, right? And those two calls just made me go, oh god, this is terrible news. I I mean, you know, yeah, like, just we do. You just go in, in the like, well, this is terrible. This, this clearly something is very wrong. Oh, I say, nothing is wrong. <laughs> like one of his things is slightly elevated, but it's elevated within healthy parameters. And they were like, yeah, the reason we want to talk to you is basically, can you do another urine sample and bring it in the next time you bring him in? That was it. What? That was it. That seems insane to yeah, me. Oh, but- but it took me another phone call on Friday morning for them to be like, the doctor's not available, but they'll call you back. And then I eventually got the answer in an email like four hours later. Oh, that's just... But I, I basically spent the entire day being like, okay, so he's sick. Right. Like, of course. He's sick because they're acting like he's sick. I, I would have assumed that he had like doggy leukemia at that point. Yeah. You know? The other thing that was absolutely nuts is um, he had a blood test like less than a month ago. Because he, he uh, this is the dog that, like, had the, the, oh, I don't think I said this in the podcast. This is a dog that about a month and a half ago had um, problems shitting, basically. Um, and they did blood tests for that, but then did blood tests a month after that uh-huh. to make sure it was fine. And so his blood was fine then, which just added to the confusion. Right. Because they're being really weird about, well, you know, can, can we call you back? 
you know, can we we, we need to get our information together? Can we call you back? And I was like, okay, but a month ago he was fine. Right. <laughs> like, what could have happened in the last month? <sighs> yeah, so that happened. Um, yeah, it's just, it's been a week of, like, weird phone calls in amongst all the other, like, work-related stuff and, and, and like, life-related stuff. Like, the kid went back to school this week. Mm-hmm. Like, person school. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was stressful in, 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 like, in its own way. Oh, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Like, stressful as far as, like, it's his first time in school, like, in person, uh. in, like, a year and a half. Jesus. Right? Yeah. And so there's a lot of, is he going to be okay with it? You know, mm-hmm. is he going to... So you can handle being in school. Like, because they were doing distance learning, and distance learning, realistically, was like half a day. Mm-hmm. And that's half a day with him fucking off in the middle of it and being like, I can do these classes in 20 minutes. I'm going to play Roblox. Um, <laughs> so I was like, oh, no, you know, is he going to be able to deal with that? But also, like, he's in, he's physically there, and, you know, the COVID numbers right now are terrible. I don't know if you saw, but, like, Oregon called in the National Guard a week ago. Oh, God. So all of this anxiety is going on. The, the the hilarious result is, of course, he was arguably the most excited I've seen him in a year and a half to go back to school. And then when we picked him up after the first day, he was like, that was the best day. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, fine. Um, but, you know, like all of that was going on as well. So it's just been a really weird, stressful week. It's, it's been a, 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 an oddly uh, anxiety-inducing week. Uh-huh. And it felt like a really long week. Like, for example, earlier on today, Chloe and I were talking, and I was like, it was last week you were on the podcast. I know. Like a, um, I, honestly, it feels like a month ago. Seriously. No, 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 no. I, um, I was looking at, uh, at my reading list to kind of figure out, like, oh, what are we going to talk about tonight if we ever get around to, you know, talking about comics that we're reading? And I was like, wait, I talked about this. I talked about this. I talked about this with Chloe and Graham. Wait, was that just last week? Or, like you know, like literally looking at the dates. Yeah, and it feels like a month ago. It, it really, really does. does. Totally. Um, so yes, it's just been a really odd week. So today being the first day that you know, for one thing, I don't have a shit ton of weird phone calls. Right. Um, but also, like, there's just not that stress. Like my day is my own. For one of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was great. Mm-hmm. Like so, I I really am like you know, oh man. Today's a relief. I, I, I 100% get where you're coming from with shouldn't we expect better. There's so many reasons to say that. There's so many reasons. Yeah, 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 yeah. In, I mean, it was sort uh, of a, in a I way, a glib excuse for me. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't. Yes and no. Right. Like, right. you know, yes, but all like there is, there is also a ring of truth there. Yeah. You know? Right. Um, but I am I am very much of the... Man, this fucking week! Like today's been so much better than this week. Right, right. So I, I, I'm, I'm the, I'm on the opposite end of it. I'm just like, oh man, you know what's great? Saturdays. <laughs> Saturdays are great. Well, you know, we um, through the course of this week, like uh, uh, Edie sat down and sort of made a list of various chores and errands, like sort of, you know. The around the house jobs that we're supposed to have done or do or will be doing. And it was such a long list. And she's like, yeah, so, you know, we try to knock maybe one of these out per weekend and we'll have it done by the end of the year. And I'm just like, I don't, I mean, you know, I don't want to do any of this stuff, of course. Uh, So, you know, I was like, okay, well, this weekend, let's, uh, let's return this thing to Ikea. 
because we we ordered a set of outdoor chairs like right after Christmas. They got delivered. Set of four chairs. Three of them were great. One was, um, you know, mistooled, uh, so it was just impossible to assemble. Like stuff would not literally fit together. Sure. So it, we're like, "How do we return this?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, just just bring it to Danny IKEA." And uh, of course, this was like, you know, right December of. I'm having such difficult times keeping years straight. It was it was it was Christmas 2020. So like, Wait, there was you mean like like nine months ago yeah nine months ago so they have they have a full year that you can return things but you can't you can't just ship it you got to bring it into an ikea center and of course at the time like ikeas were like yeah you can't come here but you know of course now with things they're like oh we're reopen and you know we're distancing and we're requesting that you be masked and etc etc so we went to ikea to return this thing uh, it's been on the to-do list we got three months left i'm like let's just do this and it'll be fun and in theory it sort of was fun but ah, oh, god graham i just gotta tell you like you know it's one part i'm sure the pandemic and it's just one part for the last it's coming up on two years already which blows my mind like Edie and I have been living in little rural nowhere with the little two-lane country highway and the street you can walk your pug down the middle of because there's sure. no traffic. Yeah. And we went over the hill, merged onto like the 101 heading south, which is just nine lanes of madness. And, and, and it just, Edie was like, I got to take it. <laughs> and that was before we got to the IKEA. So then you get to the IKEA and of course everyone's there, but I think that's the other thing is um uh well, you know, we've been to IKEA before and I think for me as a relatively semi introverted, like somewhat easily overwhelmed person, it's a you know, it's a shopping experience. There's a lot of cool stuff there that I get excited about and things are cheap so you can pick up a lot of things for, for not really a lot of money but on the other hand at a certain point if you start to just become overwhelmed like i i'm I, as you know from being in an ikea it's kind of amazing that you never have to like slay a minotaur at the middle of it you know what i mean because it's yeah. always just set up for it's like an enormous two stories or more of warehouse in which everything is laid out to make you walk over every inch of the floor. And if at a certain point you're like in the middle of the floor and you're overwhelmed, but you're also kind of like, can't, you know, there's, there's always those like, Oh, catch our little scorgons, which is, you know, Swedish for uh shortcut exits. And I don't know, I'm sure we could have used those, but I think the other thing that was so horrifyingly overwhelming was it was our first time in an Ikea since owning a house. And Oh, okay. And so that was it. Like, we had been to Ikea plenty of times with our apartment. And it was like, our apartment's got enough stuff. We don't necessarily need more yeah, stuff. Yeah, you couldn't, 
you couldn't really buy anything from Ikea for your apartment. Like, even if you bought the cutlery, you would have had to get cutlery stuff. That was a small place. Yeah, it, uh, comparatively. Comparatively. I mean, they're certainly smaller. But, I mean, yeah, it was... We had filled it up a plenty with our many years there. So... You know, we cut a huge chunk of that out, and then we moved here, and there's, a you know, even more room. And so suddenly, and I think that was the problem, instead of like, okay, let's just, you know, plow through this thing, don't look, keep your head low, we'll look up when we get to the shot glass section or whatever. But instead, it was like we walked in, and it was like, oh shit, like, we need stuff in this room, we should be shopping in this room, we should be shopping in this room. And so it just, basically, we... The trip to the trip there, admittedly, you throw in a meal, um, was four and a half hours, and we both came home so exhausted. Now, keep in mind, it's like forty-five minutes there and back, you know. So there's, you know, so it's really closer to three hours. But we spent over half an hour waiting in the return line. Like, jeez, I it gave me such a weird like. Honestly, I was having flashbacks to international travel. Like, it was just Mm -hmm. that kind of, that long a line, you know? Yeah. And once we got through that, we're like, okay, well, let's let's start going through this Ikea. And I mean, on the one hand, we got all sorts of very nifty little things very inexpensively, and we sort of looked at some major stuff. But, like, we both had a moment where our eyeballs, like, you could just see the light fade from Edie's eyes and I'm like shit we've we're nearly at the end and I wasn't looking at any maps like but I'm like okay we're on the we're on the ground floor so it's just to the checkout and we're done and it was like 36 more rooms of just crawling through like glassware and you know towels and glass towels and towel wear and at a certain point it's just both of us were like we should just go home and burn everything we have like it literally was at a certain point we we, both of us were like stuff we don't want any more stuff stuff is evil like it's we are we're dying looking at all this stuff you know and of course at the meantime and yet this stuff wants you jeff oh doesn't it though i mean that's the thing that is such a thing then we got home and our pug totally snubbed us like and i think i don't remember did i tell you guys last week that that remy's on on steroids no okay here's like i don't think you told us in the podcast you've told me at some point but i don't think it was on the podcast yeah i don't think so either okay so listeners may or may not care about the pug update but uh we put the pug on an antibiotic why why did we put it? Oh, right, because he had uh, the the you know the pugs have this amazingly deep no- fold kind of around their nose between their nose and their lip, and you got to keep that thing clean. And he more or less, it, we did not get it clean. And we when we got him, he it, it was kind of a little weird and goopy, and we and he didn't like it being touched and like Edie did just a remarkable job like you know bribing him earning his trust so she was able to and it just wasn't kind of getting clean so call the vet 
you know, and it's like, oh yeah, we'll put them on an antibiotic and get that cleaned up because it's maybe there's just some sort of minor infection type thing. So seven days on the antibiotic and it was looking much better. But by the end of the seventh day, like um, earlier that day, I'd been petting him and noticed some little, uh, like one or two small welts on his chest. And I'm like, oh God, I hope he didn't get... Lyme disease or bitten by a tick or a flea or something, you know, we've got the medication, et cetera, et cetera. And then later that night, I, I was rubbing his chest and I realized there were two dozen of these things. And I was just looking and his entire body was covered in hives. So, you know, we freak out. It's, it's late. It's like 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm hopping in the car and I'm driving down and I'm buying children's Benadryl and we're going back and we're giving Wait, them Benadryl. I, oddly enough, I do think you did do this in the podcast because for some reason the children's Benadryl thing really sticks me. with you. Yeah. Well, it, no, because I remember you told me the, the, like the story, but I remember for some reason the children's Benadryl thing sets me off being like, what are people going to make of this in the podcast? <laughs> okay. Well, I apologize, everyone, if I, I'm telling you all twice. It's been that kind of fortnight, basically. Um, so for, for lack of a better uh, – shorten things down. Put him on the children's Benadryl. He seemed to clear up a lot. We gave him a bath. Uh, also seemed to help. But the vet's like, you know, let's just be safe. Let's, let's put him on this low-grade prednisone steroid to – to sort of bring down the itching and the welts and do it for seven days. And I think it's a little longer than seven days, but it, it, and it's an insane sort of like do it twice a day, 12 hours apart. Then it goes to once a day. Then it goes to once every other day. So, so tonight is his penultimate dose and Monday's his final dose. And he is just a fucking nightmare on these steroids <laughs> that he is just he is he, i mean he's thirsty all the time he has to pee all the time those things are both fine but like our pug went from i mean pugs so you kind of have you know if you imagine a funnel of obsession you know with dogs and food clearly dogs are super into food and then pugs as a subset of dogs are even more into food and then you put our pug into that set and it seems he's even more honed in and then you put him on steroids and he is just he's he he was he, he will bark in the kitchen like just like looking at the counter or the refrigerator, like literally just barking to be fed. And it's like, we just fed you. And he's like, I have no memory of that. So, you know, so it's just been just a, just a complete shit. So we came home after four hours. Oh, so the everyday steroid, just a fucking monster. Then when it was the every other day, uh, the first off day that we had this is the second one he was kind of closer to normal a little sweeter a little more i mean he's not a very affectionate dude anyway which is kind of a bummer but it is what it is but like the steroids were just like unless you were holding a hamburger in your hand that you were going to feed him he he was like why are you even coming near me you know so 
so the first day was kind of normal. It was, it was great. So today we were like, well, okay, we're going away, but it'll be fine. And let me tell you, it was not. I don't, he may have been pissy that we left him for four hours, but we got home and he was super excited and we're like, hey, buddy. And within like three minutes, it was just obsessive, like, Barking and kind of starting fights, and we had to put him on time out. And like he and Edie, I mean, it's just been at certain points we've literally picked him up to show him the counter to show there is no food there, just in the hopes that we can break his lunatic obsession that there is food just out of reach that we are supposed to give him. Um, yeah, nightmarish. Just absolutely nightmarish. Although, that being said, I swear to God, I thought of a superhero or comic-related thing about him, and I can't remember what it was. I know when you say something ludicrous like, you know, he reminds me of Hal Jordan. In <laughs> exactly, exactly. He's not unlike a Steve Englehart-esque Guy Gardner. Exactly, exactly. I mean, honestly, that just makes me like him more. <laughs> I, yeah. It shouldn't. It shouldn't, but it does. Yeah, exactly. So he's a sweetheart of a dog, but insane, insane. Um, and it's been kind. It's been a. It's been a little wearying, I have to say. So maybe that's part of it. Is kind of. This is my first day off for a three day weekend. I'm super excited. I got to get off work early ish yesterday, which was heaven. You know, and so I was kind of like. This is just, this is going to be, I figured you and I were going to be talking. I'm like, oh, I got all this stuff to talk about. And um, and now I'm just like, or we could just all go to sleep. Like, how about we have a nap? Like, I'll, we'll put that, on that, music. That, yeah, I was going to say, that's the next episode where it's just our, our <laughs> ASMR. AMR? SR? I can never remember which one it is. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it, you're just going to hear us snoring is the point. That's going to be great. Jeff, I'm curious what. What are the things that you want to talk about? Well, see, I don't, I don't necessarily. Know. I mean, there's a couple of uh, what the hell was that? There was a couple of um, manga things that I sort of want to talk about, including the classic, like you know, I've got four titles for you, and I want you to figure out which one's real and which one's fake. Oh God! Yeah. Okay. Um. So. Uh, okay, so so let's let's just start with that. Um, hold on here. Okay, so <laughs> you're. I, I like the, the delay. I, I feel like you're actually like lighting them up. I, I do, I do, because I know that a lot of how and where I present them is going to be like which one you and I'm. So all right. So your four manga that you have and to... one is fake. One is fake. One is fake. Now, do you just want the titles or do you want titles and descriptions? Oh, I want titles and descriptions because it means you're going to have to work harder for the fake one. Son of a bitch. Okay. So... I mean, you can just do titles if you want. But I would prefer titles and descriptions. Okay. So, first choice, Steaming Sniper which is a manga series about a hitman who retires to a quiet country inn and spends essentially the entire multi-volume series having people be like, ooh, he's an evil killer, and 
every single oh sorry everyone being like ooh there's something weird and off about him and and yet absolutely nothing happens despite the fact that every chapter uh, is illustrated with a picture of him holding a gun okay? i feel that if this is not real then i'll be shocked because i feel like you have described this book before number 2 a pantyhose like world which is an anthology uh, by one... Well, it's a cl- short story collection by one creator, um, most of which has to do with such darkly humorous stories as um, a kid who is bullied at school for his looks, and he is utterly and completely invisible and later goes on to become a Yakuza pimp who ends up pimping out the other bullied person at his school. Um, What? (laughs) I know, right? Uh, Sweaty Garden Gotcha Girls, which is... Hang on, hang on, hang on. Sweaty Garden Gotcha Girls is the third title? Is the third title, yeah, sorry. Okay, so tell me the second title again. A Pantyhose-Like World. (laughs) I, I hope that is real. Mm-hmm. Because if it's not, and you're the one who a thought of that title, and b thought of the that bullied kid who grows up to pimp out the other kid who was bullied, mm-hmm. uh, I am concerned. Yes, okay, the third right. title, uh, "Sweaty Garden Gotcha Girls," which is a um, <laughs> so as you know, you gar- know what? Fuck it. I'm concerned anyway because chances are like you've read all of these anyway, like even if these are the real ones. Anyway, Sweaty Garden Gotcha Girls. Right, Sweaty Garden Gotcha Girls, which is totally kind of a weird mix of the Gotcha Girl phenomenon in Japan. Could you explain the Gotcha Girl phenomenon for people like me? Okay, so um, it it means a couple of different things basically like the gotcha you know those clamshell uh clamshell uh i guess that's it you know the construction claw games that you see in video arcades oh sure yeah yeah those those are quote-unquote gotcha games you know it it's in classic japanese punning english hononym sort of ways it starts off as a you know these games in the arcades where you can win prizes by using the construction claw. Then what happened is these became a, a bigger form of um, like free-to-play video games, like on your phone and things like that, where the idea is you get a chance to draw a certain number of cards every day, and those reveal new characters, which help... Um, supplement your army and most of them unsurprisingly are buxom girls who can like cast spells or who are fighters or whatever and you recruit them into your army for the online game so gotcha girls is kind of a is a thing and then the sweaty garden gotcha girls is entirely about this it's an isekai uh novel uh, manga which is it's a trope about um, nerds who basically fall into a fantasy world and he is basically able to summon various gnomes elves and pixies based on his knowledge of plant life and the their okay, related wait, wait, wait. ones sweaty yep. garden sweaty garden gotcha girls as in a garden that sweats it, it's 
it I think it's the fact that the garden gotcha girls are sweaty. In other words, oh, okay. they're gotcha oh, girls, okay. they're garden gotcha girls cuz he's he's basically picking pixies and elves and sylphs and things based on his knowledge of botany and then they themselves are quote unquote sweaty because they're all it's you know, it's a sexy harem thing. Okay, I've got to tell you, this is the one that sounds fake to me so far, and it's purely down to using the word gnomes. I could not give you any explanation that. But, okay, what's the fourth one? Fourth one is called Dick Fight Island. (laughs) I'm sorry, it's called Dick Fight Island. It's called Dick Fight Island, yeah. And so it's about a, a group of, there's these eight islands... Um, each one of which has a different tribe, uh, which has different, you know, focuses, like some do mine gems, others are fishermen, some are farmers, others are hunters. The tribes are ruled by a two-person consort system, which is basically chosen every four years. The tribes get together and each tribe chooses their champion to fight the other champions with their dicks. <laughs> okay, okay, wait. So there's Dick Fight Island, there's Sweaty Garden Gacha Girls, there's the one about pantyhose, and then what was the first one? Uh, steaming Sniper. Steaming Sniper. Yeah. Okay, like I said, I think you've talked about Steaming Sniper before, so I think that's real. That is correct. Uh, I'm really hoping the second one's real, otherwise you came up with it. Uh, Pantyhose-like world is indeed real. It's the third one. The third one's not real, right? Yes, Sweaty Garden Gotcha Girls is the one that I made up. I, 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 here's the thing. It honestly is when you said gnomes. (laughs) I hate that that's the tell. At a certain point, I kind of went like, I'm like, oh man, I'm being far too detailed about this, and that's going to be the tell, but, uh. No, it was, it was honestly the use of the word gnomes. (laughs) <laughs> I could not tell you why. I could not explain it. Dick Fight Island sounded so fake that it had to be real, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. And honestly, so did the, the Pantyhose one. Mm-hmm. They both mm-hmm. sounded so fake. Like, sweaty garden gacha girls sounded generic in comparison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said, I was convinced you've talked about the first one before. Convinced you've talked about that one. Yeah, before. I shouldn't have thrown you a ringer. But also, in part, because I reread the 16 volumes of Steaming Sniper pretty much for between our last podcast and this one, which is to say more or less in, great. in the in, course in of a week. week. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, um, okay, so I have to ask the other ones, um, and Dick Fight Island and, and Pantyhose World, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing you were also reading those. I am. I am. Actually, a pen- uh, is, yes. is Dick Fight Island as kind of amazing as it sounds? Uh, you know, Graham, this is what's going to catch you off guard, but it it's pretty gay. Uh, and, and I think for people... <laughs> Wait, hang on. That catches me off guard. Why? Well, I, uh, that was me being sort of sarcastic, but because <laughs> the thing is, is I think that I had, I picked up Dick Fight Island, in part because once you hear that title, you're like, how can I not? But uh, Deb Aoki was like, you gotta pick up Dick Fight Island. It's ridiculous. I mean, honestly, it sounds like a Kyle Starks comic. Yeah, it, it kind of does. It kind of does. 
but it is very much, uh, and I can never pronounce it, yaoi, yaoi, I don't know. You know, it's it's a man's love comic, but yeah, yeah. definitely heavy on the comedic version of it. So the idea I mean, is... It's called Dick Fight Island. It's right? called like, Dick, right, exactly. That's not a comic that's taking itself too seriously. Exactly. Um, and it was a lot of, it, it's actually a sort of, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's very well drawn. Uh, you know, if you like, if you like looking at some handsome guys, uh, it is it's it's great. It just ends up being like for whatever reason. I don't know why I thought that it was sort of not going to be as explicit as I was as it as it was. But um, I mean, yeah, again, it's called Dick Fight Island. What are you expecting? I, I, I'm trying to like I'm not being glib, but if something's called Dick Fight Island. I would be shocked if it wasn't explicit. Well, sure, but unless it was a, unless it was a Kyle Starks comic. Well, that's true as well. Um, you know what I mean, like, right, you right. Know, unless it is, you know, very tongue in cheek with the with the the. Naming. So, so but, like, no, it, honestly, the fact that you're like, yeah, it's 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 Yowie and it's called Dick Fight Island. I'm like, I'm literally expecting to see, like, a dick fight. Yeah. So, so it's. When you see the cover, you're like, oh, okay, because the, these guys wear these ridiculous, ultra-insane cod pieces, you know, that more or less come up to their chest. Um, each one sort of, I think, representing <coughs> the culture of the tribes. And then when they start fighting, like the first fight or so, it's sort of like there's this one who has like this super long, whippy dick cod piece thing and he whips it around the other one's cod piece and then he starts drumming on it with his hands and the idea is that the, essentially the first person to come loses but so i'm like oh, okay yeah i can kind of see how this happens and then at a certain point the cod pieces pop off and then it's kind of like oh oh okay now again this is also for me like um maybe this is where the how i get thrown off sort of is for the most part the variety of uh, manga that I read that is explicit a lot of it still does um, either glowing or kind of that sort of comical digital glitching kind of deal uh, and what's hilarious about Dick Fight Island is all of the dicks once they're unshorn they have like a little gray bar to block it but it's a little it's like a little bit it, like it just covers like the area like above it, their yeah. scrotum like at best and so it's just like it somehow makes it it makes those it makes those dicks even more naked yeah exactly. so it's, um, it's that whole thing where like it somehow makes them even more explicit <laughs> You're like, exactly okay exactly. Well, now my yeah. eye is even more drawn to them yes exactly like way so so yeah, it was it was actually really fun. Like, ironically enough, I know that um, essentially the people who are publishing it here in uh, North America talked to, I think, the author and the Japanese publisher, and the later volumes of Dick Fight Island are going to be sort of even more explicit. For in the North American release than they are for the Japanese release, I think. So, really? yeah, which I thought was kind of interesting and and kind of cool uh, in a way. Like they're like, oh yeah, this is because I I don't know how well Dick Fight Island did 
in Japan, but I think it's actually, unsurprisingly, you know, here in America, we're like, man, let me tell you, we're kind of a dick fight continent. Let us at this. Um, and so, yeah, there's uh, my understanding I like is Dick Fight Island is somehow like the perfect chaser for us talking about Fuckboy Island last week. Right, exactly, exactly. There's Fuckboy Island, which is really scripted, and then there's Dick Fight Island, which is which is a really really scripted. Re- yeah, exactly, exactly. But um, yeah, it was fun. But I I do have to say, like, I'm like. I don't know if I'll chase down other volumes of it. You're, you're not gonna. You're not gonna chase down Dick Fight Islands. What about the the other one? Uh, a pantyhose like world. Yes. Yes. Okay. So a pantyhose like world. Um, really did okay. look. I, I'm. I'm. My first question about this. Yeah. Is um, your description mm. made me wonder sincerely. What genre would you say this book belongs to? Um, I would say it belongs to... Because up until you got to the point where they were pimping out the other bullied kids, I was like, this sounds like revenge fantasy crime. Right? Yeah, and right. you're like, they're pimping out the other kid, and I was like, is this some sort of weird porn? Yeah, right? Um, So, a pantyhose <laughs> like... When you're like, it's... Re- I mean, it's also called... Pan- was it pantyhose? Like, like world. world? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that also sounds like porn. Yeah, uh, exactly. So is it some sort of weird, like, revenge crime porn? Um, I guess the closest way that I can say it is, it, it's, it's, it's very much like a manga version of like I want like eight ball or uh, honestly, um, Adrian Tomine's optic nerve stuff. Like when he went through that period, like it's, yeah, it's it's very much the the creator. Um, let's see if I've got the name nearby, because uh, I really should. Um, I mean, I know you said it's an anthology, and so like on that. We'll, we'll see, and that's it. That's why I was like, I kind of I kind of phrased it wrong. Like it is, it is a, it's it's a it's a short story collection by Shun Umizawa Umizawa. Shun okay. Umizawa, and and it is it's like five stories or four stories. The first two of which are interconnected, following two like porn obsessed teenagers in the first story, um, and that's where it sort of the title comes from. Is at the end that one of them describes their future as as being a the pantyhose like world that awaits them, and then you see how they turn out ten years later. Um, as adults, and it's, I don't know quite how to describe it, but it is, it's, it's, um, it's really darkly humorous because, I mean, one of them is kind of more or less literally a moron, and the other one of which is, is smart, but an acerbic outsider in high school, and they're more or less the only ones who look out for one another, so it's kind of like a, a, uh, teenage um, of mice and men, I guess, if they were both obsessed about porn rather than I don't mm-hmm. know whatever it was in the original of mice and men. Maybe it was also porn. Anyway, and then the third story is uh, basically set in one day in a high school, which is it's it literally 
awful and insane and ha- you know like it just runs the full gamut of people being teased and bullied and about to commit suicide and people like you know kids having sex in the room delinquents having sex it's it's kind of literally about the breakdown of society set in this one school but it also ends up being just this huge joke so so kind of like Tomine or Klaus, it's basically short stories that are very darkly humorous, but like, uh, but pessimistically, but very so. darkly humorous. Exactly. Like, yeah, like really impressively darkly humorous. Exactly. So by the time you get to the last story, which is told from the point of view of this this woman who who remembers basically this this guy that she knew in college in high school because they were both bullied she's like i saw him again on the streets and then the reveal is that he's entirely invisible except he's wearing like clothes um is kind of a really funny kind of weird thing um and by the end of the story you're not really sure how much of that was objective or subjective but he is that guy is like this incredible piece of shit um he is literally pimping her out but but at the same time he's also you know um he's sort of a complex character and the fact that you can't actually see him is the point so there's lots of there's lots of great sort of surreal stuff that sort of add the dark humor to it it's really good pantyhose like i was was, was gonna say is it a book you like i do i did yeah it was it was kind of a whoo holy shit you know kind of thing it's not it's not uh it's not something like steaming sniper or sweat and soap or you know stuff that's relaxing it is um it's edgy you know edgy and funny at the same time um but uh yeah i'm really glad i read it and i found stumbled across it on which will bring us into our news section at least in a little bit kindle unlimited um and yeah uh, okay so shall we talk about the amazon stuff because you actually alerted me to it to yeah yeah i was I incensed the more i just think that it's insane yeah yeah yeah, like, yeah. it strikes me as such a bad choice on mm-hmm. behalf of amazon yeah that i'm honestly kind of floored uh i presume you've heard about it through an email yes i um it it was interesting the number of uh people who were like why how i didn't hear this like how where did you hear this kind of thing and i think i I think you got it because you're a kindle and you're a a comiXology unlimited subscriber exactly i i'm a comiXology customer but not a subscriber and i got jack shit yeah, and, and that's what someone else said. There's no PR sent out about this either. Right, which is just, on the one hand, it's sort of insane, but I also had that weird, like, why are you kind of, you know, it, 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 I really had that thing of, um, gosh, where is it? Why can't I find it? Um, it? It Because I thought it would be good to, of course, talk about um blah 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 uh yeah there's such a strange way that um it's this jaunty note from uh david steinberger the co-founder and ceo of comiXology and it just 
popped up in my inbox and I read it. And I was really alarmed and I jumped over to Twitter. And I'm like, why is nobody talking about this? And because no one knew. Exactly. And that's where I was like, what the? So for people who have not heard yet. Chances are, I was going to say, chances are people don't know. Yeah. Already. Like even now, like half a week later, chances are people have no idea what we're talking about, which honestly is kind of crazy. Exactly. So I'll summarize. I, I was stumbling, uh, as I typically do, but this time trying to find the email and keep talking. So back on September 1st, David Steinberger sent an email basically saying like um, – uh, kind of like, oh, hey, good news. We've been hard at work making important changes. You'll start to see soon. And today I'm excited to share what's coming. And um, it's and he's like, first, though, I want to ask you to merge your Comixology and Amazon account so you can use these new services, which is one thing. And the very next sentence is, in fact, once we update this fall, you'll need to use an Amazon account to use Comixology at all. You can do so here. Thanks. I just the tonal slip and slide from like, hey, you know what? You should merge these accounts so that you can use these new features. Followed by, you're not going to actually be able to use Comixology unless you have an Amazon account. So yeah. do that. Like I was like, okay, what are we in for? Because of course, me like a ton of everyone else have been like, oh God, please improve this app. Please get optional reading lists. Please get all this other stuff. And so... You know, he talks about like, oh, we teamed up with Amazon the way that great comic book heroes do. And, you know, this is this, you know, we've done all this stuff that's helped to reach more readers of comics, graphic novels and manga. This fall, we're introducing an upgraded Comixology app along with a new way to shop for digital comics and manga on Amazon.com. Here's some of the changes you can expect. Our upgraded Comixology app will feature flexible filtering and sorting, sorting and some fun book navigation features. I was like, okay, that's fine. A revamped digital comic shopping experience on Amazon where you'll be able to browse, buy, and borrow to read on either the Comixology or Kindle app. You can visit the new shopping experience today as we continue to bring new features online. And then the kicker... Comixology.com will redirect to this new experience when we launch. So it's, I was like, so, so what? So Comixology is going away, right? Like, and it's such a jaunty little like, hey, and Kindle Unlimited and Prime members will be able to continue to borrow from a large library of graphic novels. We're, we're going to have more reliable downloads and... You know, you'll be able to read your Comixology purchases on Kindle apps. And it's like, okay. So so that was that was like the first horror show. So they had a link where they're like, the shopping experience is live. So I click through and it's just motherfucking Amazon. Like they have fleshed out the Kindle comics section, but it's not like it looks more like Comixology. It looks like, you know, the Kindle comics section. And it's, and then you sort of, you know, it's got bars of trending in Comixology Unlimited, new and noteworthy graphic novels, this week's featured releases, you know, family reading is seen on TV and film, essential graphic novels, must read superheroes. Like, okay, so if you click on this week's featured releases, actually, how the hell do I? Like, where's the, oh man, 
hopefully they're revamping this because it used to be oh there you go see more 25 so you click on that and then oh man this is gone again yeah but this is just it like see more 25 more than 25 comics came out this week no i know i know and that's the thing it's there's so much weird shit on this like there is so i assume that they will be changing things but when i looked graham it was a you looked at your new releases and then you could if you scroll down okay so you click on the top display banner you know that there's like five or six that scrolls through one is this week's new releases so then you scroll down past featured releases new comicsology originals new manga new family friendly releases and then you get to the section all new releases which you can then click on publisher and sort and one of the big tells that i thought that things were really in big trouble is the fact that you have uh, let's see two four eight twelve you have 16 publishers 16 publishers yeah yeah there a there's a lot more publishers than that and b comiXology submit which is the publish in indie people you can more or less self-publish through comiXology wasn't on there so but you you saw why right yes and i was going to get there that yeah yeah this this was this was again the first day now if you choose and i don't know if you've done this but if you choose for example dc it will show you the DC releases for the week. It caps it at uh, 5, 10, 15, 21. And then you have to click show more to see more. And uh, they're not arranged alphabetically. They are, God only no. knows how they're arranged. I guess from. I am looking at it right now and I think they're arranged by release date. Well, but. I mean, sure, but even then, shouldn't it be alphabetical by release date? Like, if you click on DC yeah, no. from August yeah, it's, 29th it's clearly to September not, 4th. It was Harley Quinn, Batman Fear State, Infinite Frontier, Static, Aquaman 80th Anniversary, Wonder Girl, Harley Quinn Annual, Teen Titans Academy, Batman Superman Annual, Midnight Annual, and then some collections, and then King Shark Issue 3, and then some old stuff. Right, some old stuff that went live on DC Unlimited at the same time. So... It's not alphabetical, and you can't you can't arrange it to look alpha look at it alphabetically. Um, you know, there's just if you. I, I I I said this on Twitter, but like as someone who uses an iOS mm-hmm. device, mm-hmm. and so therefore can't buy through the Comixology app, mm-hmm. this change pretty much guarantees that I'm going to be buying minimal stuff through Comixology. Yeah, right. Because the Kindle Comics Store on Amazon is almost unusable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is a disaster. Yeah, and honestly, losing the Comicsology site is a massive problem. Uh, yeah, very much so. A massive, massive problem. It 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 does. It's it's not good on almost any level. Yeah. No, this this is very much. Oh, so we for for people who want the rest of the depressing news, the very next day it did come out. People from uh who had submitted their comics through Comixology Submit um, got an email. And they were basically being told that they would, if they wanted to still be on the program, they would have to re-upload their stuff to through Kindle Comics. They would have to 
put in their own guided view transitions, which were previously done from Comixology by Comixology, and they're the percentage being taken, like Comixology took a third, uh, Amazon will take two thirds. Now, there's a few caveats. One uh, friend of the podcast, Todd Allen, pointed out that there are ways that you can get um, you can get seventy percent royalties, and Kindle takes thirty percent. But it's almost impossible to do because essentially you have to pay for the uploading fees, the downloading fees. I forget it. Basically, because. Um, because the Kindle program was originally, of course, set up for actual books, they're used to handling very small file sizes, the texts, you know. But with comics, there's so much image size stuff that it is nightmarish. But that being said, part of me is like, I would be shocked if those 20 publishers we saw listed, um, you know, had to repay or re-upload or redo their guided view stuff, which again to me I, is like, I yeah. got to be on. I'm curious as hell what the publishers made of this. Yeah, because this does this is seems such a bad move and almost guaranteed to drive people away from comicsology. Mm-hmm. That I am, um, I'm genuinely curious. A, if the publishers had a heads up before this happened, mm-hmm. and B, which publishers were in favor of this. Like, for real. It it seems mm, shocking to me. Uh, to me as well. Publishers would be like, yeah, that, that's a great idea. And well, Amazon just outright liked them and was like, this is definitely going to drive traffic because you'll be part of Amazon, which gets more traffic in general. You know? And they fell for that. Might be the case. But this seems, I mean, just crazy. It, it honestly feels like Comixology, which, you know for all intents and purposes, has a monopoly on digital comics, which is just like, why don't we fuck things up? Yeah. Well, I yeah, mean... Like, like, no one's in danger of, of hurting us. What if we hurt ourselves? Well, of course. Which does seem to be the, the comics move of 2020 and 2021, for the most part. Like, what if we just load up this shotgun, point it at our foot, and pull both triggers? I think that... Um, I think there's there's a couple of things at play here. I, I don't know, you know, I'm sure you remember, um, I don't think you're as um, uh, obsessive about the digital comics marketplace as I am, which makes sense. No, 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 nowhere near you exactly, are. Exactly, yeah. Very obsessive. Yeah, exactly. So when Amazon broke out Comixology Unlimited, essentially, um, which had tons and tons of like creator-owned stuff from Fanagraphics. Like, there was a little bit of the... Nobody... Like, essentially, none of the publishers were saying shit about it. No one was really addressing royalties. No one was really addressing whether they opted in. And and a lot of people just basically, I think at that time, assumed, like, you know what? Amazon is the 900-pound gorilla. Uh, another example might be for, uh, as you know... Um, after the New 52, when DC moved their digital comics to day and date, um, mm-hmm. one of the promises that they made the retailers is that they would not put the comics on sale digitally until Wednesday, New Comics Day, slash first West Coast store open. So like 10 a.m. Yeah, yeah, Pacific, yeah. 11 a.m. Yeah. Pacific. And then essentially 
completely went back on that when it was announced that Amazon would start selling digital comics and it was going to be like at Tuesday midnight, you know, kind of thing. Like they went up on the service at Tuesday midnight. I, I, I am yeah. curious about that, like historical artifact, mm-hmm. uh, in part because, as you know, uh, I talked to Dan Zito a while back about mm-hmm. about a lot of things, but one of the things was going day and day. Uh, back back at the start of the new fifty two, and the right. fact that so many people were genuinely very upset about it and, mm-hmm. and very worried about it. And his point was like it meant nothing. Mm-hmm. Like it literally made no change to anything. It changed nothing in terms of how many people bought digitally. It changed nothing in terms of how many people bought print. Like right. it had no impact. Mm-hmm. And because he he had the point of view that basically like people might like to read digitally, but people don't really like to buy digitally. And the digital is a locked market for all intents and purposes. Yeah. And I'm, I don't think I agree with him per se, but I do think it's interesting to look back at, you know, at the, the idea of day and day and that it was so controversial for so many retailers. And just to hear one of the publishers be like, it did nothing. Well, but I mean, all of the retailers will say that too, but retroactively. You know what I mean? Like, it's a little bit no, like those I, people yeah. who thought the atom bomb well, was going to sure, blow up guess, the planet. I guess I guess what I'm saying is, I wonder if the thing that changed between we're not going to sell it until, you know, the first West Coast store is opened, to we're going to sell it Tuesday at, at, at midnight, was that they'd seen that nothing changed. Uh, I think... I think you know, what happened I, I, was Amazon told I, them what was going to happen, and they were like, "Okay." Yeah, I mean, possibly, but I guess what I'm, I guess my point is, I don't. The reason that no one said anything, the reason that there wasn't a pushback, the reason that DC was just like, "Okay," was that nothing had changed. Like they had data, and they were like, "Well, fuck, okay." Well, yes. I mean, on the one hand, that is correct. On the other hand, and admittedly, when you're dealing with someone like uh, Brian Hibbs, who was incredibly pissed off at DC mm-hmm. during that period. Um, I, I thought that was the, the, the end of the, the positive relationship with DC for, for Hibbs. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was one of those, like, you have betrayed us. You've totally thrown us to the wolves. You do not care. Like, you know, Amazon's your girlfriend now and you suck. And and there is, so I do think I think that for me it similarly follows that Amazon's like we're taking comicsology and we're folding it into Amazon and we kinda don't give a shit what everyone thinks. Like we have our numbers that they've looked at that made them decide that it was going to be a thing. I and I think I'm cur- I'm more curious to see what those numbers are because I think from what I can tell, there was a period where it took them longer to fold uh, Comixology's kind of guided view technology into the Kindle yeah, yeah, ecosystem yeah. than mm-hmm. anyone was expecting. But I think they've also had that for a while now my i'm curious i sort of half think that either comicsology's sales were flat enough like they just have plateaued that amazon was like you know what let's just let's just let's just fold you in like i think i suspect they probably did a thing where they're like if comicsology continues 
can hit X or Y or Z in their performance metrics, then we'll continue to keep it as a separate site that does its separate things. You know what I mean? And maybe that was the case up until recently. But I I also think that there are things that, for example, um, it may have taken a while for them to act on the data from, was it three years ago, two years, four years ago, back when they were just having stupidly low prices on Marvel purchases, you know, and, and, and basically the trying to see like, you know, and Marvel being like, Hey, this isn't us. This is, this is Amazon. Amazon is can price it. However they want. They're paying all of, we're getting paid full price for it, you know? Um, and at that point, there was enough retailer outrage that it stopped being like new releases and upcoming releases for like two bucks. But I think there was still a lot of data that was pulled from there of how many people are going to pull from Amazon, how many people are going to pull from Comixology, what happens when you start messing with those prices. And I think there's a lot of people who, if the prices were good, would jump to Amazon and buy the books, you know, if their if their accounts were sure. linked, you know. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, my account's been linked for, you know, a long time. I yeah, me too. How long it's been mm-hmm. linked? Um, I used the Comixology app, but like I bought stuff off Kindle because it's been like there was one point the Empire Collection came out last year, mm-hmm. and like in the week of release, the Empire Collection was like four ninety nine on Kindle. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, and it was like ten comics, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, sure, yeah, I'm not going to wait until Marvel limits it for that. It's Al Ewing, and it's ten comics for like you know fifty cents a comic. Yeah, yeah, right, sure, I, mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. So, so yes, like I, I to- that totally makes sense to me. It, it, yeah, I, I get it. Um, so I think it just, that... I don't know. It's a weird thing. It, it oh it's hugely weird unbelievably disruptive it's amazon kind of doing a fuck you we're amazon and and for me of course i was hugely struck and stricken by the kind of cheery good news you know cuz it cuz it is it's the e- emails weird the, the, the email the yeah on. exactly it's the jaunty the like weird. yeah we are obsolete you know like we are being folded in Good news, like you guys it, it's it's the old british comics thing like that i grew up in like really important news inside pals right this is great next month you know like next issue we're mm-hmm. being folded in with wizard and chips and buster yeah right and exactly like, what and they're like you guys it's it's so exciting yeah. this comic ceasing to exist but you, there's another comic that's, that'll be like this one, but not at all. But maybe <laughs> one of the strips will survive. Exactly. Good news. Star-Lord is finally becoming part of 2000 AD. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And so, and so there's such a tone of that, which, again, in itself was, I thought, how do I put it? It was just, for me kind of badly managed badly massaged and in in part because of the whiplash of things like the fact that like the fact that the final note of the letter is p.s i wanted to share something pretty amazing stephen king's new novel billy summers has not one but two mentions of comiXology in the story that's a nice feeling dot 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 and i'm just like 
Wow. Wow. It's a nice feeling now that comicsology is ceasing to exist. Well, exactly. Exactly. Purposes, yeah. Comicsology yeah. is ceasing to exist. That's the thing. I do wonder what's going to happen to comicsology as a brand. Yeah. Right? right? Because mm-hmm. if you click through to the, the link that they suggest right now, it's called Kindle Comics. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, the, the headers still say comicsology, but it's called Kindle Comics. Yep. And, you know, Comicsology Originals is a brand, and it's a brand that, in theory, has has a a, a name and has a cachet right now. Especially mm-hmm. because it's got a Snyder deal deal from like two months ago, mm-hmm. right? But they're giving every inclination that Comicsology is not actually going to be a going concern, definitely within a year. Oh yeah. Oh, you know? I, I think so. Absolutely, and it, uh, and that that's a weird thing. So it's it's weird. Like it's an especially weird way to end that letter. If he's like, especially because it's like you didn't say that David Steinberger signs his letter, co co founder and CEO of Comicsology, GM Digital Comics, Amazon. Oh yeah, you're right. I didn't mention that. Yeah, which is you know? mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's like okay, so you know. I kind of feel like the writings on the walls a little bit here for for comicsology. Even if the com- even if like that yeah. side of the company still exists as Amazon Comics or Kindle Comics, I feel that comicsology as a brand is going to be like faded out. Oh, completely, completely. I absolutely I, agree. I, I just can't get over how uh, unnecessary it feels. How 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 much of a bad move it feels to everything other than the Amazon brand. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's going to make it more difficult to buy the comics. Yeah, I think it's going to make it more difficult for creators to publish comics. Oh, uh, I think it's going to drive creators away from that platform unless they're published through one of the major companies. Uh, I think it's going to kill the digital comics ecosystem as it exists right now. Um, elaborate on that because I, I don't I, I think, think so. I think Comicology Submit is to all intents and purposes, going to die. Which mm-hmm. means that all the indie publishers who publish through there are, you know, maybe they'll find success on Amazon. Who knows? Maybe they will, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe they'll find enough success to keep going. But I think it will diffuse the community that's part of, that's that's there to an extent. I mean, I think, I feel like it pushes people towards, you know, a Marvel Unlimited, a DC Universe Infinite. Um, uh yes right a gumroad or or you know some other form of digital comic distribution mm-hmm. and away from comicsology right. or, or away from amazon i yeah. should say um in a way that especially now feels like a bad idea well i think although i could be wrong i'm i'm more or less willing to bet that just about Anyone who is publishing through Comixology Submit, with maybe certain exceptions, um, was by and large like way more worried about like they would be way more impacted if Kickstarter went away or Gumroad went away than Comixology Submit going away. Well, yeah, I mean, hopefully, Kicks. I mean, Kickstarter's not going to go away. Yeah. Like, no. I mean, uh, yeah. you, you, you know this is coming because I've I've mentioned this to you. But but the 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 way water is done. Um, there's a story that's coming up on THR. Uh, I think this week. More or less about Substack, but I talked to Comicsology ironically, and I talked to Kickstarter about like the digital comic space. And there's a bunch of the stuff. There's a bunch of material that isn't going to end up in there, because mm-hmm. literally there's a word count limit. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But Kickstarter is massively successful with comics right now. Mm-hmm. This 2021 is going to be for the third year running their most successful year. Wow. Um, and like that's that's really drastically saying something because last year, twenty five million dollars were raised for projects for comicsology. Mm-hmm. Right, twenty two twenty one to date when when I got these numbers and I got these numbers about a month ago. Eighteen point six million had already been raised. Wow, the success rate of comicsology of a Kickstarter comics projects is seventy seven percent, which is nearly double the average for Kickstarter projects in general. Wow, like comics. Uh, I keep saying comicsology. Comics on Kickstarter is a, is a massive success and is something that Kickstarter has recognized but is also very much paying attention to and trying to support mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and they and they are they're doing it very very smartly they're doing it very intentionally very smartly and yeah it's you know especially when you see things at Substack, especially when you see what's happening with with comics just last amazon i think kickstarter is going to become more and more important to the digital mm-hmm. comic space mm-hmm. in the next you know, years definitely yeah because for want of a better way of putting it, I think they're the attainable option for the majority of creators. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I think you know not many people are going to get a Substack Pro deal. Although, mm-hmm. you know, this week alone, like Jeff Myers come out and said he's got a deal, and I don't. Do you, do you get the Kelly Sudeconic Matt Fraction newsletter? Uh, no. Uh, so they there had a new one go out yesterday, and they explained that they have been approached. Mm-hmm. They haven't said yes, but they have been approached. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kelly Sue like gave away what the terms of the deal are. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know if she meant to. Huh. Uh, in exchange for the money, she she wrote, creators agree to offer a paid version of their newsletter and commit to posting one hundred times in the year they're under the agreement. Hmm. Uh, I've I've heard the deals referred to as advances. Advances have to be earned out. As these don't, they're more like grants or sponsorship. Right. She says. Uh, you know, uh, and and she also says, uh, and I think this is right, substantial enough to be transformative to our industry. Mm-hmm. Which I think is true. But again, not everyone's going to get offered that. Right? And the other creators who basically try and build that from the ground up are going to, I think in, if they're literally just looking to fund a project, I think Kickstarter is still going to be a better route for them in the short term. Oh uh, yeah. You know? I mean, yes, I think that, uh, you know, as many people point out, Kickstarter raising the money for the Kickstarter is I mean, you know, it's kind of funny now that I realize it, it's sort of like the direct market, you know, in a way, like you people pre-order, if you hit <laughs> enough pre-orders, like the book ships, you know what I mean? And and then, you know, but, but the, but there's, but there's additions to that. But generally, you know, what is helpful from what I can tell, and, you know, I'm talking through my butt, but looking from experiences like, uh, like Abbey's is, Kickstarter gives you that time where you're running the campaign to essentially be marketing the product. And yes. and so it's a very valuable combination of marketing tools, 
which you can use to build heat and get exposure uh, you know across meanwhile you're leveraging social media like crazy but if you get to enough heat of course kickstarter also begins promoting it for you you start getting way more eyeballs but once you have that product out and you know in the world there's a lot of things that you can do like and i know that you know a lot of people turn around after their after they get their funding and the comics the digital comics go to go on gumroad or they go on to you know to have you know so so this is this is the um you know Kelly Sue calls Substack, you know, transformative to the industry. And I think she's right. But I also feel like it's almost transformative to the industry in the same sense that Kickstarter is. It's just that what is actually transformative to the industry about Substack is the level of investment on behalf of the company. Mm-hmm. Right? The publishing model for a Substack subscription is basically the same as a Patreon. Mm-hmm. Right, you're paying money on a regular basis mm-hmm. to get access to material. That's basically Patreon, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Patreon and Kickstarter are—I was going to say more democratic, but again, they're not. Substack is the same thing. This is Substack. The Substack Pro deal like changes the game significantly. Yeah, the idea that you know certain creators who you know admittedly have proven their success. We'll see. That's it. I think uh, that's a huge our, qualifier, right? Yeah, yeah, but yes, and that's and that's very much the Substack model in general, right? Substack Pro outside of comics has also gone to people who have proven that they are hits, right? I get to see Substack really. I mean, in terms of who has announced the Substack Pro comics deal, I think Sophie Campbell is arguably the least successful, quote unquote. Um, creator, and even then, Sophie Campbell's not an unsuccessful creator. Right, right, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, mm-hmm. Sophie Campbell's still a name. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It would be fascinating and only a positive if we saw creators who did not have that level of success get the grants. You know, like, what happens when you give it to, again, you give it to someone who has published through Comixology Submit or has published through Gumroad. You know, mm-hmm. what happens if Nick Spencer or someone at Substack is looking at, like, um, the Shortbox Comics Fair next month, mm-hmm. right? Which has 48 creators. Mm. And Zainab is is such a wonderful curator. Absolutely. That it, goes from, it goes from, like, people who you know mm-hmm. to people that you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. But you can trust that every single one of those comics is going to be amazing. Do you know what I mean? Right. But yeah. what, what if someone from Sub- Substack is looking at that and picks one of the creators that you've never heard of and goes, they get the grant as well. And they get the grant at the level that James Tynan gets a grant. Right. You know, that's when it becomes uh, that's when it becomes even more groundbreaking. That's when it becomes a game changer beyond for want of a better way of putting it trying to build a new business model off the back of the direct market. Yeah. I, I well, I mean, I, I, all, I, yeah, I'm, I'm losing track of my own point, which was, uh, I do think that Kickstarter is going to become more and more important. Yeah, uh, exactly. Over the next few years. Right. I, I think, especially because, like I said, it feels like with this Amazon Comixology deal, they're kind of fucking up their own, like, monopoly. <laughs> Yeah, no, very much so. I'm genuinely floored by 
the choice here and and it's inexplicable to me other than they're just like well no amazon's the brand mm-hmm. well you know, it's almost like you know when when uh when dc got rid of like vertigo and all its imprints and they were like dc's a brand right right you know and you can you could argue that that was you know that was as successful well <laughs> That's full of move. I mean, I think I think you what you touch on about sort of fucking up your own monopoly is inherently baked into the concept of the monopoly. You know what I mean? Like once sure. you have no other competition or whatever, you get lazy, there's less incentive to compete, and you start you start doing things that are easier for you. Like basically being like Sure, this, the, these 16 publishers account for 98% of digital comic sales. We could gr- work on, grow that 2%. But, I mean, Comixology Submit was, sadly, I thought, very quickly proven to be a little more than lip service, really, really short into the into the system you know so there's part of me where i'm like yeah i you know grocery stores will sort of do that thing where they start charging the people to to how their stuff gets shelved on on the shelves you know and they begin just covering the biggest like sure we'll pay for you know like only the biggest companies with the biggest blah blah blahs are the ones that are able to afford it which is why everyone was caught off hand when when suddenly people were like no i want small local organic stuff and they're like we can sort of imitate that but they it took a long time to pivot like every monopoly ends up exposing itself to disruption which sure, is sure, am- yes. is amazing because you know Amazon is itself sort of the closet disruptor of so many forms, you know, along the way. And and the Tech 1, Tech 2.0 type stuff is all from that. So, yeah, we're seeing moves here that seem unbelievably dumb. But at the same time, what you – I think what you are seeing is – weirder stranger forms of disruption something like substack is very odd and we'll see where and how it goes but like i'm kind of shocked by and this is something i break out every so often like kind of how shitty patreon is in a lot of ways and how there's very there's no competition for it which is amazing because it's like they just take the money off the top you do the work you know, and all they have to do is, you know, basically but, promote but I mean, you and provide yeah, a payment service. But there are Patreon competition. Like, Substack is a Patreon competition. No, it's... Right? No, 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 no. I, I mean... I, I I think it is, and it it performs, uh, uh, for want of a better way of putting it, a serialized crowdfunding. Oh. I guess so. I guess so. In that you can start a newsletter and start charging money for it, and people have and to sign lock, up. And you can lock content behind, right? Uh, the paywall, mm-hmm. right? So I, I, they're they're very similar in my mind. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I. Uh, I mean, maybe. 
I, 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 you know, the one one has the newsletter formats and the other doesn't. Right. 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 But but I I think that's a relatively small um, uh, separator of 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 intent. Eh, I mean, you know, we have but, but, you know. But again, if you know, if you're talking about disruptors in, in the comic space, like we never talk about like webtoon or tapas. No, we don't. Right. 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 And they're they're massively successful. Yeah, webtoon, they are. They are big. Like, yeah. Far more than tapas, but but like they're they're massively successful. Tapas mm-hmm. is something that I am paying more attention to for all the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. um, which is like the hires they've made in the last year or so mm-hmm. are, are really interesting to me mm-hmm. uh, because they've basically been hiring ex DC talent. Hmm. Like I don't. Do you know this? No. So, do you remember uh, last year Didio quit and then Bob Harris quit and there was a period where there was no no full-time editor-in-chief at DC and it was co-EIC between Marie Javins and Michelle Wells? Yes. And, Mich- and then Marie Javins got it. Michelle Wells is now in charge of Tapas. Oh. Uh, Jamie Rich left DC to go to Tapas. Hmm. You know, like so they're they're staffing up in terms of editorial from people who have been doing work that A has been successful in the direct market, but B like has been interesting. Like Michelle Wells before she was ESC at, at DC was in charge of the YA stuff. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. That, that was that was innovative for DC and also like good work. There was good stuff published through those that line. There still is. Um you know, but but you know what does that person do when they're in charge of something like Tapas, which is an entirely different market, but also a much bigger market? Yeah, right. You know, you look at what Webtoons does. Yeah. Webtoons is massively successful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, massively successful. And almost invisible because of its its distribution format, you know? Right. Uh, but, but you like, that's a massive audience waiting to be tapped. And if someone works out how to, like... Uh, for want of a better way of putting it, appropriately monetize that, that could be a game changer. Is Webtoons you know, all free go- stuff currently? I, I think it is, question mark. Mm. Um, but, you know, Webtoons readership is is just dwarfs the trade market. Oh, absolutely. No, it's kind of, it's like, sort of like its to own. An, to an embarrassing extent, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but I mean, even then, like you know, uh, again, say your Substack, and I'm just saying Substack because again, they're the one making the big money moves right now. What happens if Substack goes to, you know, uh, the person does Lord Olympus, and says, "Yeah, you, you, you do stuff exclusively through us." That gets Substack an audience that is already online. Uh, it's entirely different from from the audience they're currently courting, uh, and. I would argue is more likely to spend money on uh, the subsect model. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what if they go after like why haven't they gone after web comics creators? Mm-hmm. Like why hasn't John Allison got a Substack deal? <laughs> yeah, right. No kidding. Like for real, I feel John Allison could make Substack a big success. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel the closest it comes to that is is um, Molly Ostertag, mm-hmm. and and. You know, that's they, they, why are they not more in the YA space? Why is Molly the only one? Why yeah. 
more of those creators. Like it's, you know, I, 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 part of me goes, well, it's because Nick Spencer seems to be the guy making decisions and he's going for what he knows, at least to begin with. Part of it could also be like, we don't know who they've offered the deals to. You know, yeah, like, that's true too. Be, right. You only see a hundred mm-hmm. deals out there that people haven't said yes to yet. Right. You know, um, it's, it's, it literally could be that the I think we've seen like ten people say yes announced something right. Those ten people could be like the ten people who have a presence in the direct market that they asked, and there's like thirty people who are from webtoons who are from from you know kids lit. Like where's Raina Taligmeyer in this? Oh right. You know. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. but for real, where's someone like that? Right. Because. Especially because they earn, they keep all the rights to the material. Like, it, why not ask Raina Telegmeyer <laughs> to do something? And for all intents and purposes, Raina's like, yeah, okay, I've got to set up a paid newsletter subscription. Okay, but it's going to be really cheap. And it's going to be for the, like, either the kids who are, you know, massively into my work or their parents or for that matter, like the nerds who want process shit, you know. And otherwise, I'm just going to serialize uh, my next graphic novel this way, and then I can still sell it to Macmillan, mm-hmm. you know, or Scholastic, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, like that seems that seems like a no brainer. Uh, yeah. I mean, I on the one hand, I agree with you. I also think that that points to there. There's there's a lot of Substack to me that points to I don't want old web money, which sounds like a hyperbole, but it just sounds like it's it's all it's all it it smacks very strongly of traditional web stuff, which is you you show promise, you're well positioned, you've got the right people, you court the right venture capitalists. You get, you know, strong rounds, you continue to grow. Then at a certain point, you get a lot of heat to you. A lot of people throw a shit ton of money at you. And then you have to figure out kind of what to do with it. And a lot of what you're doing is marketing and promotion. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, so for me, as far as I'm concerned, I personally think that the answer to your question to your questions is is that it's super important that Substack signs names that that by and large you know appeal to a certain type of I want to say reader but really what they're appealing to is a certain type of investor you know um and I, yeah I, I and maybe that's true like there 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 are again it, without knowing who has said no to a deal or even right. who's mm-hmm. made a deal like it is it's it's all reading tea leaves yeah you know completely. i i i know of at least one other creator who's been offered a deal and hasn't said yes mm-hmm. and the fact that the the deconic infraction have 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 said that they've been offering deal and said yes leads me to believe that there are a lot of people out there who still haven't decided. Now, did, uh, did they um, say why they hadn't said yes? No, they just said they hadn't decided. <laughs> just deconic infraction said we haven't, haven't um, decided. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find a bit. Um, 
Uh, if you're looking for our take, this is probably what you want to know. We did get the Substack Pro Comics offer. We haven't decided whether to take it or not. We can't commit at the moment. We'll see if the offer is still on the table once we're in a position to commit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that stuff's going on. Right. You know? right. Again, you and I both started this podcast talking about how absolutely insane our weeks have been. So, you know, comic creators, they're just like us, Jeff. <laughs> uh, but you know we we literally don't know who else is out there you know and i think one of the mistakes question mark i made when like the first wave of of, of people signing on was being announced like that first week mm-hmm. was i kind of thought at the end of that first week that was it mm-hmm. do you know what i mean i was like mm-hmm. oh their first wave is like five people right and that's clearly not true Mm-hmm. You know, I I I was like, okay, so they're starting with like Tanyan and Hickman, and you know Zdarsky and 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 Saladin Ahmed and and Molly Ostertag, and that's it, you know, and they're starting small, right. and it's become very clear that that's not true, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so now I'm I feel very uh, reticent to be like, so they've stopped with this ten. Right, because instead I'm like, well, they probably asked a hundred. Right, do you know what I mean? Like, I've I've literally flipped, and they're like, well, you know, we literally don't know. Maybe they have asked, and maybe they've asked people that like we wouldn't even consider. You know, I I was talking up Centaur World a few weeks ago. Maybe they literally went to the person who created that and was like, would you do you want to do comics? You know, like maybe they're they really are thinking completely outside the block box, and we have no idea. Could be, could yeah, definitely could be. Although I do think that you know. As you point out, Sophie Campbell and Molly Ostertag are the only ones that, to me, kind of have that feel, I guess. And, you know, there yeah, is but, part but, of me that's, yeah, you know, there could, again, there could be like, plenty more. Yeah. But, uh, you know, is that because the other people haven't said yes or they weren't asked? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, right. It's, no. It's, you know, it, it is. The, it, it is. And I think the more we get, like... Like Lemire announcing this week, um, suggests that people are just taking the time to, taking the time to decide. You know, mm-hmm. uh, like Fraction and, and Deconic revealing that they got asked and hadn't haven't decided one way or another. Well, makes so, me think like, there, there's a lot of deals still on the table. Do you think that there's a number of people who were kind of like, well, let's wait and see until after the first wave, and and see if those people basically get pilloried for signing with Substack, who's pretty... I, I mean, I'm sure that's on some people's minds. Um, I've talked to to people who shall remain nameless, because this is like very much not my place, uh, to name them, who are of the... I have multiple reasons and obligations which which make me think that I should say no, because I literally don't have time for it. But it's so much money that I also feel like I can't say no. Well, you yeah, know? right. And that um, that's also kind of my thing is sort of like unless there are, you know, harsh penalties of some sort for not living up to your obligations, you know, like if you don't publish the 50 times in a year or whatever, like part of me. A hundred times. A hundred times, right. Sorry, which is close to twice a week. Um, if you don't publish like twice a week, you know, if something, something, 
bad happens. Part of me is kind of like, I think that there are some people, and I'm willing to believe that that um, the conic infraction are at that level where they're kind of, you know, we have other obligations and we can't we can't take this ridiculous life changing amount of money. But the number of people who seem to make a, talk about it generally as being ridiculously life changing amounts of money, I'm a little dubious. You know, like I'm just kind of like, so you're being offered life changing amounts of money. You're in an exploitive industry where you're being ground for next to nothing, and you're basically like, nah, let me think about it. You know what I mean? Like that. Oh, no, I, I no, but I totally get the let me think about it. Right? Because imagine you are someone who, uh, okay. So so from what from what the conic infraction said. You have to agree to 100 times a year, 100 newsletters a year, right? Uh, imagine you're someone who struggles with a, putting forward a public persona, right? Who, who. You mean like Matt genuine... Fraction? <laughs> okay, yes, for real though. Uh, no, I'm serious. Yeah, I agree. No, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but that's the thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like noticeably, the, the fraction. Uh, newsletter is almost always written by Kelly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Kelly Sue writes almost all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, so say say you are a Matt Fraction, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, it's agreeing to put yourself out there a hundred times a year mm-hmm. could genuinely be enough that you'd be like, okay, but I can't. Right. Like, I, I genuinely don't know if I can do that. You know? Or for that matter... If you are, if you do have a lot of other obligations and your brain can only handle X number of things in there at once, I can also understand the yeah. I I might just you know go into the writing hole mm-hmm. for for a month and mm-hmm. then completely screw things up. Mm-hmm. Like I, I I get that. I genuinely get that. I I think that's that's a. Uh, uh, you know, I I understand that. I I one hundred percent understand the concept of this would be life changing for me. Uh, and and also for that matter, like this is something that I think is is exciting and I want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. But balance against the, but I don't know if I can actually do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I oh. I think that's a, I think that's a real fear. The the. This opportunity is amazing and seems too good to be true. Balanced against the, but I don't know if it's for me. Uh-huh. And I wish it was for me. Because again, this would be life-changing. Uh-huh. But I, I think there's something to be said for people who know themselves enough to go, yeah, I, I'm, but that might not be me. Uh-huh. You know, there's, I mean, I have, uh, I have subscribed to one newsletter page and I've subscribed to the, the free versions of a, bu- a bunch of the newsletters. Right. Um, and, you know, the one that is paid, I'm enjoying. Like, I'm enjoying the content I'm getting as a paid subscriber. Mm-hmm. Um, the others, there are I'm not going to name names, but there are newsletters where it feels like they're like, okay, I have to write a newsletter. Uh-huh. 
you know, for every uh, like there there is one hundred percent, one hundred percent, an audience for like the Hickman model of newsletter, which is here is my graphic, here is some arcane text. We're so excited to let you into the background of this. Yeah, right, right. Um, but there's also newsletter where people are just like, okay, this is what I'm working on, and I'm working on it, and it's great, and I'm so excited, and it is exciting. Thanks, bye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think there's an argument to be made that the newsletter is a is a form format, whatever, that not everyone's good at. Mm-hmm. You know, and I like more power to the people who get this offer and who look at the money and are like, I would never earn that money like in one year of work, even on, you know, the best selling book in the direct market. Mm-hmm. Right. I'd never get that money in the advance from a graphic novel from a mainstream publisher. Mm-hmm. But I can't do this and I have to turn it down. More power to them for real. Uh-huh. Because you know, I Graham, think I, 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 acknowledging I, I, I can't do shit. This really is the half glass full episode, and God bless you. Because, like, this is at least the third <laughs> hypothetical situation where I'm like, those people don't exist, Graham. Those people, those aren't, you're not talking about reality. Like, you know, and I'm sure you are. I don't know. I literally don't know. But what's that? But I am. Like I've talked, I've talked to people who who have gone through that conversation in their head. The the I can't do this. This is not for me. The the I have an opportunity to be part of something I think is really exciting and life changing, but I don't know if I can do it. Hmm. Okay. That's great that you've actually talked to those people. I did not know that you. I I was. Assuming you'd heard a lot more from the, yeah, I'm not sure about my schedule, or eh, I'm not sure about Substack, or eh, I'm not really sure. I've, I've, I've heard from them as well. Yes, no, I know. I, and maybe that's it. Maybe knowing that you've heard from those. But I haven't heard as many of your your uh, off-mic stories about people who are kind of like, yeah, I don't... I don't know if... I don't know if I can really bring my best to this. And I'm kind of like, what <laughs> you know like i'm sort of like if you say so but part of me is like i don't i don't think i think there is a lot of compromise involved in a huge chunk of the comics market and the comics industry um and a lot of that compromise usually comes from people sort of sacrificing elements of themselves that I find it hard to believe that they're going to be like well but you know but like you said you've talked to them you know them I'll definitely take your word for it but again like um, there is a lot of okay you know what let's pivot to another uh, another thing that happened this week talking about compromise in the comics industry yes Uh, did you see Al Al Ewing's thread on Joe Bennett oh yeah 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 Um, I did after the fact uh um, so for people who may or may not remember, uh, Joe Bennett, who has been Al Ewing's partner in the Immortal Hulk since it started in 2018, uh, about what, six months ago now? 
I think uh, so. There were there was there was a, a Ferrari because there was in the back of uh, a panel of Immortal Hulk some like I was I would say unsubtle anti-Semitic imagery, but it was subtle enough to get past Marvel. Yeah, and that's not that's not meant as a dick. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that, no, no. no. Gen- genuinely, like right? Plausible deniability anti-Semitism. Yeah. Um. And and this week, uh, in fact, to give full full context, Al Ewing didn't say anything, but only didn't say anything. Basically, left Twitter around that mm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, like his, his account's still there, but he basically stopped posting. Um, in large part because a lot of people were like, "Well, why is Al Ewing not throwing him off the book?" Right. Right. Um, this week. Uh, there was an image going around from 2017 that Joe Bennett drew. Uh, and it was of the uh, Brazilian president, uh, Bolsonaro, surrounded by, again, incredibly anti-Semitic caricatures. Mm-hmm. And he is basically slaughtering them. Yeah. For want of a better Exterminating them. Yes. Um, and, and I'll return to Twitter to address this image. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, a, in a tweet thread. Um, uh, and basically said like this is terrible. Uh, there is one tweet in particular that I think we should call out, which is when he goes, "This isn't the first issue with Joe that I've been made aware of. I've spoken behind the scenes, but that's no comfort to people at the sharp end of this kind of brutal propaganda. My lack of public visibility on this has let people down, and I apologize." Mm-hmm. Um. And then he revealed that he he has given uh, donations to a couple of nonprofits, uh, basically as a result of this. Um, and then he said, "Immortal Hulk is done, but I won't be working with Joe again. If people choose not to work, pick up my work with other artists in the future on the basis of my handling in this, I understand and accept that. If I've lost your trust, that's on me." Um, I, I, that comes to mind because again, we're talking about like the the trade offs you have to make. Yes. To be a within comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that we were talking about, you know, when the Substack thing first came about was like Substack has not the best reputation online um, mm-hmm. because some of the people it publishes, but also some of the people who are part of the Substack Pro program outside of comics. Right. Right. Um, and I can't remember if we said this on the podcast or if this is a conversation I had with someone else somewhere else. But try finding a publisher in comics that is not morally compromised in some way. Yeah, I think we've made you know, noises like, like that. Mm-hmm. Like, good luck with that. Uh, right. This is also the week where people were talking about Action Lab. And oh, yeah, action, action Lab. I knew I, there was another depressing piece of news. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Action Lab stuff basically came about because they, uh, someone is trying to get uh, the rights to the, one of their series back from Action Lab, because Action Lab basically doesn't pay, is what it came out as. Didn't pay Action and Lab. also didn't publish. Well, well, so that's that's uh, I, that's another part of it. Right, it sorry, there's a man, many-headed some, Hydra, yeah, but yes. It, it's, yeah, it true. started as someone basically said, I want, um, I want to get the rights back to my series. Right, because because of non-payment, uh, someone specifically said, um, you know, it wasn't marketed. The release dates were messed up, and we haven't seen a cent in royalty in almost six years. Wow. And Action Lab then got back in contact with them and said, 
here's a number. It'll be $11,751 plus diamond shipping and fees to buy back your series. Ooh. Okay. While all this was going on, someone else, a retailer, came out and basically said, um, someone I know committed suicide because of Action Lab. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and went on to explain it. And I'm not going to go into detail here because it, it might be upsetting to people, but, but you know, there that summary is not incorrect. You know, that the, this person basically wanted to break into comics and believed they were going to break into comics through Action Lab. And Action Lab killed their book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and didn't tell them. And, and didn't tell them. Yeah. And and when the book didn't appear, this person disappeared. Yeah. You know, um, again, there are there are problems in the comics industry, Jeff. Yes. Yeah. I, again, you know, there are comp- there are compromises to be made all the way through the comics industry. Mm-hmm. There are, um, and to the point where going the Substack route, going the Kickstarter route. You know, uh, suddenly seems a lot more appealing. Well, right? I guess like, right, which sort of is my earlier point. Is kind of no, like no, I know, I know. I, I'm yeah. Weirdly enough, I was saying this to support your point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I wasn't sure. Thank you. It's very generous of you. Um, no, but but for real, like you know, it's it's again try and find the non morally compromised part of the comics industry. Right. Yeah. You can't. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I, I genuinely, genuinely think that you know, almost every company has skeletons somewhere in the closet. Some of the skeletons in the closet are fucking running the companies. Yes. Yeah. You know. Good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, you know, there is there is reason why if someone gets a Substack Pro offer, you know. You know, it's almost unthinkable to you and I that they wouldn't go, yes, please get me out of this. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's uh-huh. an alternative to my job. There's an alternative to the way I've been doing things for the last X number of years. Right. Um, yeah. And so it's, it, it, it is just complicated. But again, like the, the fact that that's true, the fact that that is the case, the fact that honestly, like comics as a, as the comics industry that has existed for the last fuck, 80 years is uh-huh. built on exploitation, is uh-huh. built on on treating creators unfairly, uh-huh. is built on corporation and brand above creative talent, um, means that something like a Kickstarter or, or a Substack is transformative in ways that, you know, genuinely is unthinkable from like even 20 years ago. Or Patreon. I mean, I I, okay. I have to say that doesn't yeah. necessarily work for us, but they're per se. I mean, we're incredibly grateful for it. But it's no, no, no. It, you know. But, but it's again. I I I mean that for I mean like the crowdfunding. Aspect. Yes. Yeah. Or for that matter, like the Substack Pro thing, where it's where a company is literally you know becoming your patron, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it makes it all the more incredible and honestly kind of admirable to see people turn that down because they know they can't do it. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's, I, I 100% understand where you're coming from, from the, well, those people don't exist. Yeah. 
Yeah. Bear in mind, because it is almost unthinkable again. Like, you know, right. we t- you know, given the, what we just talked about, the idea that someone would be offered that and wouldn't immediately be like, yes, I don't care. And, you know, there's someone else is like, do you not want to read the fine print? And they're like, I don't care about the fine print. <laughs> right. You're offering me that amount of money and I get to keep the rights to my stuff? Yes. You know, it's it's unthinkable that people wouldn't just jump on it and, like, greedily hold on to it. And be like, no, 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 this is mine. Yes, this is my way out. <laughs> but, that, but again, that's why when people say, no, I don't think I can do this. Like, or even if, even if they end up doing it and they've still gone through the, I don't know if I can do this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's admirable. That's genuinely admirable that people are going beyond just, you know, yep. Yep. I've got my... Yeah, right, right, yeah. No, it's true. It's true. Uh, Jeff, we're almost at two hours and A, we haven't buzzed yet, which is yes. amazing. Um, but beyond your, your like, manga porn, we haven't really talked about comics we've been reading yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, my manga porn. So... So tell me, Graham. Tell me. Tell me a little bit. Yeah, in the, in the, in these crucial moments, um, what have you, what have you been reading? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have been reading a lot of old stuff. Uh, for for re- for purposes of another podcast, I have no idea when it's going to go live. Um, I read old Thor comics this week. Um, I am a guest in Douglas Wilkes' Voice of Latveria at some point in the near future. I read I read a a, a two parter uh, by Stanley and John Buscema, which is genuinely amazing and made me remember how much i like old like old old marvel comics uh-huh which are like blindingly ridiculous mm-hmm. shockingly so and <laughs> you, you have, like you have the option of going along with it and embracing it or just you know going but no but but and on every single page you'll be like but no mm-hmm. this this is insane. Right. Um, and that was a lot of fun to, to reinvestigate for some reason that I could not explain for the life of me. I'm rereading JSA, hmm. the James Robinson slash David Goyer slash Jeff Johns comic. Wow. And I'm like, I'm like 30 odd inch issues into that. Um, and that feels very uh, cromulent to go back to what we were talking about. <laughs> the episode. Indeed. Uh, it feels it feels very much like it does exactly what it's meant to do. But what it's meant to do is uh so niche mm-hmm. and and kind of unambitious that you know, it, it feels like it all it wants to do is be a comic with as many DC superheroes as possible. Right. For for one of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. And it certainly does that. You know, no. but I'm you. Sorry, on you go. No, 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 no. Because you are summarizing. Sorry, how far, how far through the through the series slash set of trades did you get? I'm doing it on DC Universe, so I'm oh, okay, not, I'm of course, a set of trades. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me look and see how far I am right now. Uh, I'm on issue 35, mm-hmm. uh, and it goes up to like issue 80 or something. And then there's the the Justice Society series that follows it, which I think goes up to like issue 50 or something. Right. Right. Uh, and for some reason, I've, I'm in for the long haul. Again, I don't know why I've decided that, because there was nothing. Actually, I know, the weird thing is, it also got me reading Infinity Incorporated. Oh, wow. The the 1980 series. Uh-huh. Uh, 
In part because I think JSA is very much an Infinity Incorporated sequel more than it's a Justice Society book. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, because I, I think one of the... It's pretty much as soon as Johns comes on. Because uh, uh, Robinson writes like the first... Or, or co-writes the first like half year of it. Uh-huh. Maybe slightly. And then Johns comes on as co-writer after that. And I feel that as soon as Johns comes on, it becomes a book that is self-consciously about legacy. Yes. Right. And the legacy and passing of the legacy, which in a way that it wasn't with Robinson. I feel like Robinson mm. and Goyer, for want of a better way of putting it, literally just wanted to do a Justice Society book. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and then Johns comes on and it feels like it's very much like, ah, but look, now we have not just Stargirl, but we also have Jakeem Thunder. And we also have, you know, we pay much more attention to Adam Smasher. And we right. pay much attention to, you know, and it's, it, feels very much like it's like these old heroes but we are the new guard but we were keeping their legacy alive right um and so in that it feels very much like a, an infinity incorporated book more, more to me mm. and that made me well i should reread that because that's a book that i genuinely i haven't read in a long time mm-hmm. um infinity incorporated i genuinely forgotten has some of the earliest professional work by tom mcfarlane oh yeah yeah he comes on like issue 15 or 14 or something. Mm-hmm. And his work there is so on Todd McFarlane. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, you can see like signposts for where he's going, mm-hmm. but it is, it really is like so not like, cause I think of like, I discovered Todd McFarlane's work when he was doing Hulk and Spider-Man, Amar, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which was like the late eighties, like 87, 88. Uh-huh. Um, and so this is like three or four years early before that. Right. Um, and you can't really, like, it's like, wow, something happened between those, between those two eras. And right. I, part of it might be that he's he's been given, like, an entirely overwhelming anchor on Infinity Incorporated. Mm. But um, so much of the cartoonishness of his, uh-huh. of his faces uh-huh. is just not present. Hmm. Um, it's his physicality feels really restrained. Hmm. Uh, interestingly enough, his, his his panel layout is, I would argue, more interesting. Huh? Um, yeah, it, it's 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 a very it's a very weird like thing to see like really young Todd McFarlane. Um, but it's also such a weird book. It's hmm. such an odd odd comic. Infinity Incorporated. Part of it is Roy Thomas was not a, a spring chicken when he's writing it, and it's meant to be a comic about like teenagers, right? But it's like teenagers on Earth Two, so you kind of feel like you can get away with everyone being a bit old fashioned because Earth Two is kind of old fashioned. Well, yeah, because they were like, yeah, exactly, right. Um, but it's it's this weird. It uh, it very much does feel like your dad is doing Teen Titans, <laughs> you know? and Teen Titans felt like your dad is doing X Men. Right, right. <laughs> so, so you know, it, it, it is this, this weird, this weird thing. Um, yeah. So I've been, I've been like working my way through both of those, you know, fairly, fairly dramatically. Um, I, what else have I read? I, I caught up in the Mister Miracle series that's going on at DC right now. Mm-hmm. Um, which is that and and future, not future state, uh, Infinite Frontier. Have me doing theories about what DC is doing with the fourth world. And I suspect I've created a headcanon that isn't real. 
But the headcanon I've created that might not be real is an interesting enough one to me that I'm like, oh, I want to see if this plays out. Mm. Mm. Um, because great. I don't know if you're following the, the current Mr. Miracle series. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's Shiloh Norman. Mm-hmm. But in, I think the second or third issue, they say that Shiloh Norman took up the mantle from Thaddeus Brown. Yeah. And they're the only two, they're the only two Mr. Miracles. Mm-hmm. And they also uh, retcon Thaddeus to be black. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the threat in the series is the daughter of Scott Free and Barda. Hmm. Who is like, no, 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 my dad is Mr. Miracle. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, I read the second issue and it didn't really super grab me. I mean, I, as I, in... I have to say, I read, so I've read the four that's coming out, I think. Yeah, I, I read all four that came out back to back and it right. worked much better than when I was reading them individually. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Because I've, I've, I've read them individually and each time I've been like, what's going on in the series again? But sitting down reading them all back to back, I was like, oh, okay, so this makes sense. Right. Uh, I think it's something that just doesn't translate well. Mm-hmm. Um, I also read Amy Reader's Amethyst series. Ooh. Yeah. Which was just like six weeks. And that's just great i wish it i wish more people had paid attention mm-hmm. uh i wish it for want of a better way of putting it i wish it had sold to people who weren't dc's audience <laughs> yeah well do you know what i mean like wonder comics in its intent was like meant to be aimed at a younger audience Very was meant so. to, you mm-hmm. know revitalize those brands but amethyst more than any of them feels like it's something that should have just been published as a graphic novel and gone to bookstores Mm. Uh, in part because like Amy Reeder is just a fucking great creator mm-hmm. she's, a, she's a, a a fun YA writer and her artwork is glorious mm. her artwork is just exquisite it's mm. such a good book Jeff mm. um, and hopefully one that now that it's out as a collection people are going to revisit and go oh yeah no no that's that's, that's great like mm-hmm. that that's this is a this is a fantasy book that I wish I'd picked up. Mm. And for that matter, the book I wish was going to continue in, in in a series of graphic novels. Like it's a shame to me that it got lost in the direct market when it should have been part of the DC's YA line. Right. You know. Right. It feels like it it, it just was mis missold. It, it went to the wrong audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. So that's what I've been reading. It's 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 been it's been a it's been a nice week. But but nothing earth shattering for me, right, right. Um, hmm. Well, I I sort of feel I will talk very briefly about Steaming Sniper because I did read sixteen volumes of it, which means which I I love I love that. <laughs> I mean it, which means it's something like three thousand pages of material in a really short period of time, and and it's a reread, uh, and. Uh, it was fun coming back to it because um, I was more conscious of certain things. Like, it's very much Steaming Sniper is unsurprisingly a... Um, it's a middle-aged dude fantasy comic, but of a very specific, sedate sort. Like, I sort of feel like... Um, uh, how do I put it? Like, weirdly, like, you know, there was kind of that sort of post-Twin Peak era of shows that sort of, you know, 
big city outsider comes to a small town and kind of learns to sort of settle down, I suppose. You know, like Northern Exposure or something like that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Steaming Sniper is... Uh, what's interesting is, is that it more or less starts, I guess, you know, several years into uh, Japan's sort of big economic collapse. And um, Jen, who is the middle-aged dude who who sort of shows up to start working at this onsen, um, has, you know, been a, a violent killer a hired hitman very much in sort of the chow yun fat kind of style looks cool wears sunglasses kills lots of people while wearing suits and and more or less only kills bad guys sort of thing but he has left that life to hide out which um which again is also sort of a a, a trope for action movies and the first couple of chapters plays very heavily with that idea of like oh but what happens when another yakuza guy comes to the onsen or oh what happens when he gets a mysterious call from someone who wants to hire him again or you know and so there's the the early things in part because of the like i said the chapter art which always has him like holding a gun maybe with a matchstick in his mouth and you know or like pointing a rifle or etc cetera, etc cetera. you're kind of like oh okay this is you know at any minute this is going to kind of become the story of a guy who is um you know sort of desperately trying to escape one life that is inescapable and and said a new one that he can't quite fit into because of his old life. And in fact, sure. one of the things that's very pleasant about Steaming Sniper is um, none of that really happens. Like after a lot of bait and switch, also with a lot of nudity involved, um, it realizes it's kind of a old fogies drink milk comic you know like one of the glorious creations of the strip is the manager of the onsen who is you know a, a guy in his 50s or 60s with white hair and it's clear like the writer loves writing him the cartoonist loves drawing him he's sort of this exuberant figure that is um is where the real Japanese quality of streaming sniper really catch it, kicks in, which is once they decide that it's not going to be a, a comic filled with violence and nudity and it's going to be a gentle slice of life comic, unsurprisingly, that gentle slice of life is weren't the old days better kind of thing, you know? And so. Sure, sure. There's a there's a lot of sections where people, you know, corrupt people from the big city come and and, you know, uh, Jen's the only one who's able to see through and see kind of see their wickedness because the small town onsen guys are all kind of too innocent, and naive and that sort of thing. Um, but it's kind of weirdly like if you could imagine an entire Superman series that is basically Clark Kent being in situations where he might have to reveal his identity and change into Superman or even just change into Superman and then figures out a way to resolve it so he doesn't have to. And then you do that for 16 volumes. Like I really did find myself being like, 
oh man, this whole sequence where he's going to, he's the only one who sees problem and he has to head it off, but he has to do it in a way without revealing who he actually is, you know, is classic, classic Silver Age Superman. So, so it, it goes through a weird arc, starts off being like, ah, then it goes through the middle period, which is very much like, oh, wasn't it great when we could all sit by the radio and listen to baseball? Like, baseball is like a huge thematic undercurrent to Steaming Sniper. And then fortunately, at the end, because it kind of keeps going for a while, um, they do that thing of having, like three potential romantic interests for Jen. Again, very Superman-ish. And each one's interested in him. And of course, he needs to keep his distance because no one can ever find out his secret kind of thing. And they're like, we should find out what's going on with him. Or should we? You're my, you know... We should find out his secret. Exactly. You know, it's like, are we romantic rivals? Sure, but we can work together kind of thing. And so one of the things that's actually very charming is, is for the last third of the volumes jen more or less disappears into the woodwork and it basically becomes a manga about the sort of the women in his life kind of like there's various other characters that you meet that like jen are hiding out and have withdrawn from the world and one of the things that's very interesting about steaming snipers they make i think the very sensible decision of having showing those people reconnecting to the world and and so you still kind of get the um the middle-aged fantasy of like i'm not an obsolete guy smoking a cigarette in a garden by myself i'm actually a cool former ex sniper who has to keep my distance from the world you can still bring that out and you can still also tell stories about people who need other people to be able to relearn how to commit to the world so it's it kind of it worked for me it it worked for me the second time around even though there were so many things particularly toward the end i was like wow the the cartoonist the the artist who who i i dearly um admire his work a ton uh tadashi matsumori um by the end he is so reusing panels i mean he's just cutting and pasting cartoon figures like in the last three volumes i'm like i recognize that reaction shot i recognize that reaction shot wait these three people in the crowd scene are in fact three different like iconic poses that he's just kind of slapping in there there's an amazing sequence that and i really i know sorry i of course me being me had to go into far too much excruciating detail about this um but there's a great sequence where uh, um they begin going to the beach because there's a there's a, a beach stand owner who hooks up a deal with an onsen and she becomes a rom- possible romantic interest for jen and so every summer he drives all the people out and then hijinks but every goddamn time they show the inside of her restaurant it is the same interior and it's amazing because it's he uses this shot like 14 times through the volumes sometimes in like two different chapters and all he does is he's got a little center section that where he can drop in new characters and the rest of the time it's 
I was just like, wow. I, you kind of have to stand up and salute that commitment to, to I don't know, frugality. or I mean, because it's not laziness. It's There's definitely a ton of art, and God only knows how many people are in his studio doing backgrounds and things. But there, But it's the number of times where it's like, oh, they walk into a scene, and wow... It's literally the same guy wearing the same surfing shirt. It's it kind of you sort of start you realize you can't pay too close attention to details or else you start wondering, you know, kind of that weird like are we supposed to know that this is all the same look like that these are all the same people is the idea that like you know, are we going to find out that he Right, exactly. Are we going to find out that he died? And this is his life in the afterlife, and he's not noticing. And at some point, he's going to notice that that every time he walks into this bar, it's exactly the same individuals in the same poses, you know. Um, and the answer is no. People were cutting corners, but you know, if you're high enough, it's kind of a it's a lively subplot that does not pay off. Um, so that's basically what I read. Two, three thousand pages of middle-aged man manga fantasy, and who could be surprised? I ask you. The end. But I love that you love it. That's that's <laughs> not sarcastic. Like I love that you love. I love that, like because it, it made me makes me think of when I it, well as much as anything like not reading JSA or something, but when we do draw, and I'm like I just love dread, and so I spend the next week also reading dread. Right. Right, yeah. And you're just like, yeah, I'm into this. Like, mm-hmm. I'm into this shit. This is what yeah. I want to read. Right. Well, and you know, one like, of the... Th- that, that, that's kind of great. Yeah. I, say I didn't. that, and then it's like, wait, are we doing Dread next week? And then I... <laughs> we we and are. In fact, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we, a, a, we are reading Dread next week and Drock, and we should get to that very soon. But I will say the other thing that was interesting was at first Steaming Sniper wasn't quite landing right for me, and I was like... Oh, is it the conservative muddy values? Is it the is it all the sort of really ridiculous early chapter? Let's try and get high votes for like our salacious material, and and over time it was like, oh yeah, no, you know what it is? Is I read Steaming Sniper when I was living in San Francisco in a tiny apartment, having to walk to work, uh, you know, walk to Bart you know, across streets, you know, with human feces or where people have been stabbed or, you know, any of this other exciting stuff. And for the last two years, I've been sitting in my backyard at night listening to a tree blow and just appreciating nature. And that whole, like, at the end of every at every day, Jen breaks open a single can of Asahi super dry beer and sits by his window and stares into the night and reflects on his day. And that was... And you the, get it. I, well, see, that's it. I have it. Before, it was like, oh, oh, you know? Like, I'm kind of like, oh, I outlived this fantasy. Except, you know, I've got a pug on steroids that is insistently barking at nothing for 10 minutes now. But up until... Up until a week ago, Graham, I had that. And I kind of had that thing of like, oh, it's kind of nice. I sort of, I think I sort of, I sort of maxed out on this fantasy because I, I actually got mm-hmm. enough of it to, 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 to enjoy it. So, yeah. you know, I, I still need to have three women compete for my affections. One of which is a teenage mom that also runs a yakisoba bar on the beach. So, you know. 
Give it time. I know. I, I was like, once this pandemic's over, I'm sure. It was going to be hot girl yakisoba shack summer and something went horribly awry. See, that could have been the name of your uh, your one. And if you had said gnome, I would have I would have believed that. Goddamn gnome, Graham. Why? It's just it's such a it's just it's just me summarizing with words like sylphs and dryads didn't attract. But like you're like gnome. Gnome sounds wrong. Yeah, gnome does sound wrong. God damn it. What it is. I think gnome just sounds too. I mean, honestly, gnome for me just sounds too British. It's it's too like, it's on the gnome. It's it stuck out. It's too on the gnome. Get it? On the gnome. Instead of oh, on no, the nose, Graham. Next week. <laughs> next week was an episode of Drunk, uh, where we will try and ignore Jeff's pun. <laughs> There'll be show notes for this episode. Appleweightpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, I love the the very like on the one hand we should close it's been over two hours somehow I we are not buzzing which is remarkable to me it, um, it's, it's just amazing yeah it's it's unless something is horribly wrong when I listen back to it this is going to be so much well, easier honestly, in some you know, ways you know what I wondered what it is mm. this is the first time we are recording on my new computer with me and I have to yes yes I bet that's is it, it that. I bet it is, Graham. I bet it is because I always wondered Fuck. if it was like, um, like a memory thing that was hitting on your your side of things. But who knows? We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Let's just say first one. We'll test it next week. We'll have a much better idea. But yeah, holy yeah, smokes! That, that, who know? Who who the fuck knows? But um, we we did it. Yeah. Uh, no, I I was I was closing things down uh, just in protest. To be perfectly honest, we probably should close things. Like we should. Like, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you've got other points, I don't mean to cut you off too early. Of course, but yeah. I mean, I I, I genuinely don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, we we we've, we've gone on at length this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, so okay, so there will be show notes for this podcast up at weightwhatpodcast dot com. Uh, I actually posted something on Instagram this week, Instagram dot com forward slash weightwhatpod. Uh, we are on Twitter at weightwhatpodcast. Jeff is on Twitter at lazybastard at l a z y b a s t i d. I am on Twitter at graham m i g r a e m e m. And we're a Patreon supporter podcast, which means Jeff is going to talk to us right now. Yes, I am. Hey everyone, you guys really are super great. Um... I I was actually uh, someone suggested that um, Graham and I cross over with House to Astonish, and bless him, uh, Al Kennedy threw um, like maybe a quartet of podcast episodes that we had you know crossed over with them, and it was just I was like, how great is that? I miss that. Like we should do that with I, those I guys. Like, again. It also made me think we should do it again. Hmm. Absolutely. Right? Oh, it, it was so like absolutely. it's like wait, we've done like three or four of them. Why haven't we done it in a while? You're right, exactly. Um, and I mean, you know, there were reasons, but yeah, we should see if they're up for it. Um, and and just kind of being aware of having done this for a while, like we've done this for a while to the point where, like I said, it was, it was like, oh shit, we've done like three or four crossovers. You know, admittedly, two of them were from the infinite crossover event but you know we popped up another two times as well i and was... i genuinely had forgotten we'd done so many yeah that, right that's an exaggeration 
I genuinely had forgotten. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was like, wait, Jeff and I, 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 Jeff and I did guess. I completely forgot. Yeah. 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 Right? So, so there's a, there's a little bit of that feeling of, of, wow, we've done so many episodes. And that really is like, I mean, there's a, how do I put it? Like, at a certain point, I feel like I realized I was basically going to harangue Graham and talk to him uh, every week if I could until, you know, he faked his death and changed his name. And, but for a long time, I think there was a certain amount of, well, we're doing this and people are listening to it. And as long as people continue to listen to it, we'll continue to do it. And, and that really sort of meant that we, we kind of racked up a little legacy that I'm not entirely aware of. Legacy is overstating it, but certainly a history, you know, a history where I feel like we were super lucky enough to be able to talk with Paul and Al, like more than once, like those guys are great. So, so, so that's directly attributable to the people who kept keep listening keep shooting us questions keep doing things like hey do you guys have why don't you guys ever cross over with these people and additionally the people at patreon who throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh a lot of support a lot of patience with us and um you know inspire us to go even further down this hidey hole such that next week we'll be doing Drock, which is our monthly read-through of Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files. Before that, we did 50 episodes of Baxter Building. Now it's 50-plus of Baxter Building, our read-through of the first 416 issues of Fantastic Four. There's times where I still blows my mind that I'm like, oh, right, I have read the first 416 issues of Fantastic Four. Like, that's kind of a weird thing in my up my hat. Like, It's so strange, isn't it? Yeah. Like, we've of... read the entire first volume of Fantastic Four. Yeah, right. So there, there are, you do have those moments where you're like, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I ever did anything smart with that knowledge. Like, like come up with the 10 worst. It'd be great to do the 10 worst FF volumes from that volume one. You know what I mean? Like, uh, anyway, the issues? The, what's that? The 10 worst issues? No, no, the 10 worst villains. Like, oh, villains. Sorry, I thought you said volumes. No, 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 no. That would be weird. Uh, I mean, possible, but weird. But you know what I mean? Like, just because you mentioned Stanley and John Basima and their nuttiness and thinking of that ridiculous, like, you know, it's Gabriel showing up, blowing his horn and bringing about the apocalypse. And then Stan's like, okay, Archie Goodwin, you figure this one out, you know, kind of thing. And it's just like, you know, like, or there were so many, there was uh, mm, uh, just so many, just not, I know you would not be a big fan of either the big golden gorilla or the hockey mask, uh, the the hockey field goalier in space, remember him? Who's like an alternate What's called, the reality? Punisher, or am I making that up? Ben Grimm. Well, no, no, you're thinking of the Punisher who was one of, I want to say Galactus's watchdogs. You know that, yes. kind, yeah, and looks a little bit like a scaled down version of uh, one of the big Kree warriors. Um, but no, 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 no. Um, during the Roy Thomas era that you disliked so much, there's that whole counter-Earth thing, and Ben Grimm ends up in space having to get a shoot oh, a hockey right. oh. puck. Yeah, remember? I, I had intentionally blocked that from my brain. 
Yeah, man. Oh, man. Wow. I hope I don't do a Fantastic Four read through that. No. Anyway, listeners and Patreon people, we are so grateful to you because I would not have those experiences that Graham has gone so far out of his way to block. Um, cause, which is interesting. That's a whole nother kettle of fish, whether Graham actually has them or not I, if he blocks them. I but. love talking about comics with you. I hated some of them. <laughs> like I said, you are the master of the has, has, the glass half full. I think, what was I going to win there? Has glass full? I don't know. That was uh-huh. a spoonerism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, this has gone on so long. Uh, Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Empress Audrey, your continuing support of this podcast, the Patreon people who throw us a little bit of the hard-earned dosh, the fact that we have a cat that is protecting our neck of the celestial realm, as well as the podcast is pretty great. I I mean, not everyone can brag about that. Graham? It's true. Very few people, I would argue, can brag about that. Um, We're back next week with a drug. Um, We're doing... Case Files Volume 28, unless I'm entirely misremembering. But you I'm are not. For once yeah, you are right. I double-checked. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's all Wagner, and there's no Predator, which is to say, great. <laughs> I, th- I think we can all be happy about that. Oh, Wag- exactly. Exactly. That is good news. And in fact, you'll be excited to know that I started... I did. I, I am 30 pages in. <laughs> was further in on that i i was like i'm gonna read i really enjoyed volume 27 i'm gonna start reading volume 28 and i i did and i enjoyed it and then i put it down and i was sure i was like a third of the way through not 10 percent. but eh. anyway i i can't tell you how much i love that you were going to boast and then you could hear in your voice <laughs> Thing. Really, really, I love that a lot. That you could tell you're like, oh, look at me, and then you're like, oh shit, shit, exactly. <laughs> you're just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's pretty. I mean, it's a standard move for me to start to humble brag and then just be flat out disappointed in myself. But it's. I'm glad everyone could actually hear it in my voice for a change. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, Graham... Uh, anyway, well, we're talking over each other for once. This this actually taking us this long in this episode. Good for us. I'm singing us out. Bye!